Hi, church. Welcome to The Rock. My name is Josh Whitney. We are continuing our study of the book of Romans. This is part 15 of 50. So we are in chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bible, or you can follow along on the handout. I titled this teaching, The Benefits Package. You remember we divided the book of Romans into five seasons or five parts. Season one was all about God's sentence. Paul built the case that every man, woman, and child in the history of the planet is guilty before a holy God and deserves eternal punishment in hell. That's the bad news. Now we're in season two, the good news. God's salvation. Deacon Paul kicked us off a couple weeks ago talking about how the righteousness of God is through faith. And then a couple weeks ago, Caleb talked about how we are credited with God's righteousness by faith. And then last week, Bill talked about how this isn't anything new. Abraham was also saved by faith. So what does my title mean? The benefits package. So as a Christian, we aren't just saved from our sin. There's an incredible benefits package that comes along with our salvation. So I want this teaching to be encouraging. These benefits that we're going to talk about are amazing, and they can't be taken away from you. Some of you are like, what does that, what does that phrase mean, a benefits package? Maybe when you hire, when you interview at a job and they give you a job offer, they might give you a job offer like this. They might offer you a salary, but then there might be insurance, there might be retirement, matching funds, vacation, time off, sick time, FLMA. There's all kinds of things that can go into a benefits package at a job. And you may or may not know that there is a benefits package that the Christian gets to experience. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, detail our benefits package. And so basically in this teaching, we're going to fill out this list. We're going to look at what our benefits are. And so our salvation just isn't about our future in heaven one day. It's about the here and now. We're going to see how these benefits, what they are, how amazing they are, and that they're permanent. A few weeks ago, Caleb had these two slides. He talked about our sin debt was like we owed God $50 billion, but Jesus died on the cross to take away that sin debt. But we don't just stop at neutral. We've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. So it's like $50 billion of righteousness has been added to our account. And so these benefits that we're going to talk about in chapter 5 are kind of how that $50 billion is broken out. Here's our entire section. I don't expect you to read this. Some of you have great eyes. You can read it. But I highlighted every time it says we and us and our. I just wanted you to see this slide of where we're going to see this is all about us. We have, we have, we have, we stand, we rejoice, we rejoice, we were. This section is all about what God has given to us as Christians. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dig into chapter 5. Lord, we thank you for chances to talk about the incredible riches that you have given us as believers. I ask that you would speak through me right now. You would teach your kids. You would speak to every one of them. You'd convict them. You would encourage them. But Lord, they would just be overwhelmed by the incredible riches, the benefits package that is given to every one of us who is a Christian. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into it. Romans Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's it therefore? Therefore, in light of all the amazing truths that Paul and Caleb and Bill covered the last few weeks, it's summed up in we've been justified by faith. 
First of all, a few comments. Justification, it's, the word is past tense. It's over. It's done. You're justified as a Christian. It's a one-time legal declaration. Here's a simple definition of justification. God has declared you righteous. That's fantastic news. You've been justified. But wait, there's more. What are the benefits? Let's start filling out this list. Based on verse 1, we see we have peace with God. This is not like some peaceful, easy feeling. This is the sinner's war with God has ended. Season 1 of Romans was all about God's sentence of us as sinners, that we deserve God's wrath and judgment. So sinners are at war with God, and God is at war with sinners. Even if they don't know it, you go, oh, God's not at war with me. I direct you back to season 1 of Romans. Those verses made it clear. Every person is desperately in need of peace with God. Look at these verses. For the unbeliever in Psalm 7, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Isaiah 48 says, there is no peace for the wicked. So to have actual peace with God is an amazing benefit. So for the believer, the war is over. Hostilities have ceased. We've gone from being God's enemy to being God's friend. The world doesn't have peace. The world desperately wants peace. I had an email I got from a woman. She doesn't go to our church. She emailed this, me this week, and she said, I have no peace about my future. She's very anxious about what's going to happen to her when she dies. She has no peace because she's not at peace with God, ultimately. I shared the gospel with her. You also need to know that peace with God can lead to the peace of God in our lives. But that's a different teaching for a different day. But regardless, it's an amazing benefit. Next verse, verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a lot of benefits here. It says we rejoice in God. In the Greek, it's we boast. And it's active case. Like we're actively boasting about our benefits package as Christians. By themselves, no one can boast before God, but in Christ, we have a lot to boast about. I see three things. We have access, we stand, and we have hope. Let's talk about them. Access. We have obtained access, it says, by faith. The word access means to have entrance to the king by someone else's favor. You have access to God by faith. People want access. We want exclusive access and behind-the-scenes access and backstage access. And even more significantly, in biblical times, if you tried to approach the king and you didn't have access, you could be killed. Today, if you tried to approach a celebrity, you probably wouldn't be killed, but you might have a bunch of security guards dogpile on you. This guy just wanted to tell LeBron some political advice. It's good to have access to the king. Again, the king, you had to have permission to approach the king. When I moved to Utah 20 years ago, I struggled to find a good engineering job. And eventually, I got a job. But at first, I sent my resume to every engineering company in the city. And I'm sure it got dropped in a file somewhere. Nobody would call me back. No hiring manager would speak to me. But then I had a former coworker who got me an interview with the best company and the best engineer in town. I got interviewed. I was hired. I needed that access. Christian, you have that access. That's what it says in verse 2. This concept of access was built into the Jewish faith. Think about their temple. Every year, the Jews would travel to the temple. The non-Jews had to stay outside of the temple. The Jews could go inside. 
But then there was a section that the priests went into and the regular Jews had to stay outside of. But then there was a place that the high priest had access to. Once a year, he went into the Holy of Holies. But what happened when Jesus was crucified? The veil tore in the Holy of Holies from the top to the bottom. So now as a Christian, we have access to God. This is an amazing benefit. You have 24-7 access to God. You can approach him anytime. Your first blank on your handout, do you consistently approach your king in prayer? In the Old Testament, Jews did not have access like this. If they approached God incorrectly, they could be killed. Not you, Christian. Do you consistently approach your king? And then going back to verse 2, it says, we stand by grace. We're so confident in our position as a Christian It says we stand. We don't grovel. We're not insecure. We know we belong here because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and so we stand. Standing implies this, like, confident, secure position. If you're feeling unworthy before God, it's because you think that your position is about your performance. But when you realize this is all about God's grace, then you stand. And then back to verse 2 again, it says, We hope in the glory of God. What does that mean? Here's a question. According to the Westminster Confession, what's the chief end of man? Anyone? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So we exist to glorify God, but did you know that God shares some of his glory with us? Look at the words of Jesus in John 17. Jesus said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So as a Christian, we share in part of God's glory. Obviously, when we go to the new heavens and new earth and we're given a new glorified body, that'll be part of it. Being in heaven forever, sharing in part of God's glory. We do not understand our future glory. And our future glory is a million times better than anything we can imagine. You should also know that when the New Testament says the word hope, it doesn't mean, gosh, I hope this is going to happen. No, it's a settled assurance. So let's update our benefits package. We've added three. We've obtained access by faith. We stand by grace. And we have hope in the glory of God. All right, let's move on. Verse 3. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I like that phrase, not only that. But wait, there's more. Being a Christian, though, is no escape from the suffering of life. It says here, though, we can rejoice in our suffering. You might think that doesn't sound like a benefit. It is. How? Because as a Christian, we have a filter to rightly handle and interpret the suffering in our life. Christians suffer all of the time. I should show you my prayer journal for our church. There's all kinds of suffering in this room, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, relational, medical, all kinds of hardship that we're going through as a church. Christians have hard times. Life is pain, and anyone who tells you different is selling you something, said the dread pirate Roberts, who is quoting Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said in John 16, in this life you will have trials. Again, suffering isn't a benefit, but the ability to rightly handle and interpret the suffering is a benefit. The word suffering means squeezing or pressure, like you squeeze oil from olives. So verse 3 says we rejoice in our suffering. It doesn't, anybody can rejoice when your suffering is over, but a Christian can rejoice in their suffering because they realize, oh, 
God has a purpose in this. Verses 3, 4, and 5 detail this process. It's like a chain reaction. So first it says, suffering produces endurance. God has built my endurance as a pastor. A number of hard things we've walked through as pastors, even the last few years. Remember that COVID thing? That was something that God used to grow our endurance as pastors. But this is kind of encouraging. I don't know if you saw this a few years ago. This is a Gallup poll of Americans from December of 2020. The mental health of Americans from 2019 to 2020. Something happened between 2019 and the end of 2020. COVID. Every single group in America, their mental health went down. It didn't matter your gender, your politics, your race, your marital status, your age, or your income. Every single group in America went down during COVID except for one group. You see it? The pink group, the religious group, the group that went to church every week, it said. In America, that'd be the Christians. So good job, Christians. So the entire country suffered and is still suffering a mental health crisis, but Christians who were faithfully attending church through that trial, they actually grew in their faith. God was growing them through their suffering. That's what 3, 4, and 5 are talking about. Suffering leads to endurance. So your next blank, number two, suffering ultimately demonstrates the reality of the Christian's faith. That's why we rejoice in suffering. So Paul continues to talk about this chain reaction. Suffering goes to endurance. Verse 4, endurance produces character. Character produces hope. So all of these things in life that are squeezing us, they can produce godly character in the life of a Christian. Or they can make you bitter. But suffering can lead to endurance and character and hope. It makes me think about my trees. I've planted, I think, 30 or 40 trees in my yard over the last 20 years, and lots have died. That's a different story. I used to stake my trees like that photo on the left, but then one day I checked a tree that I had staked a year or so earlier, and it was super loose. It hadn't grown any roots. And so I took out all the staking, and now I don't stake my trees. I came back to that tree a year later, and it was firm in the ground because it had grown roots. The winds and the storm had motivated, or trees aren't motivated. It had caused... It had caused the tree to grow roots. Trees without stress aren't forced to grow roots. Likewise, a Christian without suffering isn't motivated to grow in character. I've seen this very clearly in my teenagers' lives. We homeschooled our kids for eight years, and then we sent them to public school, and there's a variety of families doing a variety of educational approaches that were all amazing. But my kids have experienced their fair share of suffering in school. Kids picking on them, persecuting them, being unfair to them, gossip, name-calling, bullying, all kinds of setbacks and challenges. And then as they've gotten older, gotten them a part-time job, they've had to deal with late nights and rude customers and people insulting them. Recently, there was a customer who was, his lemonade was just not up to snuff, and he started cussing my daughter out at work. What's our, what's, what would be my flesh response? Chill out, bro. It's a lemonade, man. <laughs> But my daughter responded with kindness. She gave him a brownie. None of these things I would pick for my kid. Oh, I'd love to have somebody ream you out over a lemonade. (laughs) I don't want suffering in my kids' lives. But I see how suffering is producing in them godly character. 
They're learning how to endure it, how to grow. And I am so proud of the young men and women that my teens are becoming. God brings things into my teens' lives that I would never pick for them. But I see the character it is building in them. Hardship is growing my kids' character. Likewise, it's growing our character too, Christians. Your next blank, number three, hardship grows the Christian's character. And then Paul continues to talk about the chain reaction, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the chain reaction, suffering to endurance to character to hope. Hope means many things. One, we're confident that God will use all this to grow us. Two, we're confident that God is going to use this suffering for good, the Bible promises. If that is our mindset, the suffering can bring incredible fruit in our life. But the process is not easy. It's not fun. It's nothing I would ever pick. Oh, Josh, do you want the easy road or the suffering road? I'm like, I'll take the easy road. Many turn to drugs or alcohol to avoid suffering. Some just entertain themselves to never think about their suffering. Others avoid the painful road, the hard road at all cost. Church, there are hard things that God is asking us to walk through to grow us. I'm praying for you in your trials, the things we're walking through. You must know God is with you. I have a question. What is the hard thing in your life that you sense God is asking you to walk in? God will be with you. I like how Martin Bucer, the German pastor, put it. He said, we must impress upon our souls the confidence that whenever the Lord sees us suffering, he will always be there to help us and minister to us. And so in verse 5, there's two ways we see this. One, it says God has poured his love in our heart. In our heart. That's like something more experiential. That's something we feel. You can feel God's love in your heart when you're suffering. And then it also says in verse 5, second thing, we've been given the Holy Spirit. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to help us grow when we're suffering. The Holy Spirit draws us and guides us. So you can feel God's love and you can have the Holy Spirit helping you. And so we rejoice in our suffering, not because our suffering is good or enjoyable, but because we know God is with us and God is growing us. So let's update our benefits package again based on the last few verses. We've added three more incredible benefits, the ability to handle suffering. God's love is poured into our hearts and we've been given the Holy Spirit. And then the next verse, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you might go, you know, God has forgotten me in the middle of my suffering. Remember the gospel. It says while we were still weak. Weak means morally weak, spiritually dead. We were sinners. We couldn't save ourselves. When we were at our weakest, Christ died for us. And then it says there in verse 6, at the right time. Back in Easter of 2022, I did a teaching where we talked about how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey to the exact day, fulfilling this incredible prophecy that I don't have time to unpack right now. But Jesus arrived at the exact right moment in history to save us. And then it says in that verse that Jesus died for the ungodly. What do most religions teach? Clean yourself up, make yourself worthy, make yourself godly, and then God might just let you into heaven. What does the Bible teach? Christ died for the ungodly. And then the next verse, Paul's going to illustrate just how unbelievable this is. Verse 7, 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. What's the difference between a righteous person and a good person? Most commentators think a righteous person is a person who follows the rules. A good person is a person who actually like brings good into people's lives. And so to paraphrase it, he's saying, you know, yeah, they might die for somebody who's a rule follower. They're probably slightly more likely to die for someone who's done good for them. But either way, it's very rare. That's why a story like this is so moving. This is Michael Mansour. He was a 25-year-old Navy SEAL. He died in Ramadi, Iraq in 2006 in the war. He and his team were fighting a group of terrorists. A grenade was thrown into his group. He jumped onto the grenade, absorbed the blast, saving his fellow soldiers. He was standing by an exit. He could have run away, but he jumped on the grenade and he died 30 minutes later from the wounds he received. It's a powerful example. He died for his fellow soldiers. That's, it's interesting to think about who would you die for? If you were standing by a group of people and a grenade rolled onto the floor, who are you diving? Who's going to be standing by you that you're diving on that grenade? And maybe a better question is who's diving on the grenade for you? Which leads to the most famous verse, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. We can understand Michael dying to save his fellow soldiers. It's heroic. If he had run to safety, everybody would have understood. But to jump on that grenade to save his friends, it's remarkable, heroic, self-sacrificial love. But what if, what if Michael had jumped on a grenade to save a bunch of terrorists? If that happened, and as he's dying, someone's like, why did you do that? And he said, because I love those terrorists, and I wanted to save them, and I wanted them to change. That's what Romans 5.8 is teaching. We were the terrorists. We were the ones fighting God. We were the enemies of God. His wrath was against us, but God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's no wonder this is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. It's true love. It is the marvel. It's the wonder of the gospel. Again, verse 8 doesn't say, while we were cleaning ourselves up, Christ died for us. After all that we had done, Christ died for us. It doesn't say when we had made ourselves worthy, Christ died for us. It says when we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's your next blank, number four. It is the marvel of the gospel that Christ died for sinners. So we better add that to our benefits package. We revel in the gospel. So your next verse, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Again, remember the word justification means God has declared you righteous. And how are we declared righteous? According to verse 9, it says, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus' bloody death on the cross. He poured out his blood on the cross to save us. His substitutionary atoning work on the cross. It is a hard image to look at. But I wanted us to look at this image. Google was against me on this. I typed... No joke, I went back through my search history to verify this. I typed Jesus in blood, didn't get this picture. I typed Jesus on the cross, didn't get this picture. I typed Jesus on the cross, blood, 
didn't get this picture. I was like, come on, Google. So then I typed Passion of the Christ, and then I got this picture. It is a hard image for our modern sensibilities. This is the first thing liberal denominations toss. Heretics do not like talking about the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us, but it's all over the New Testament. If you want a verse list, email me. I'll send you all the references to the blood of Christ. Paul is making an argument here. It's what theologians call the greater to the lesser. If Jesus died for you when you were his enemy, why won't he save you now that you're his son or daughter? In other words, if he jumped on a grenade to save you when you were a terrorist, he's going to jump on that grenade when you're his kid. It's the greater to the lesser. Notice whose wrath we're saved from in this verse. We're saved from God's wrath. We talked about God's wrath back in June. Brian and I covered chapter one, which talked about God's wrath, how it's like a bowl being filled up. And one day God's gonna pour that bowl of his wrath on wicked sinners. And so as a Christian, you are saved from the future wrath of God. Jesus absorbed that blast of God's wrath on the cross so you don't have to. I appreciate how this uh, church father, writing back around 380 AD, put it. He said, if Christ died for his enemies, just think what he will do for his friends. So let's update our benefits list one more time. We are saved from the wrath of God. Next verse, again, another greater to lesser argument, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This word reconciled, it's an accounting term. It's like an exchange of money. Like you buy something, you give the cashier a dollar, like a $10 bill, they give you back the change. The account's been reconciled. Again, it reminds me of Caleb's teaching. Again, it's like we had 50 billion in sin debt. God took it away. He gave us 50 billion of Christ's righteousness. Our accounts have been reconciled with God. Can I be frank with you right now? I am guessing some of you don't believe me. You're a Christian, and we're covering, we're covering all these incredible benefits, and some of you don't believe them. These truths that we're covering in these verses are stone-cold facts about who you are as a Christian. Many Christians go, yeah, yeah, I'm saved by grace. But then they believe, oh, but I gotta, I gotta do good works to keep it, to maintain it. Somehow God's favor, God's blessing in my life is dependent on my performance. I forgot to read my Bible. I yelled at my kids. I looked at garbage again. I lost my benefits package. <laughs> no, you didn't. You're God's child, and nothing can change that. That's what these verses are clearly teaching. I told you years ago I wrestled with assurance of salvation. I spent a year studying Romans, and at the end of it, I was like, I get it. This is about what Christ has done. My eternal position is set. In other words, my benefits package is permanent. Your next blank, number five. Do you believe that nothing can take your benefits package away? Again, it's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus died for you when you were a terrorist, you better believe he's going to follow through when you're his kid. And then our last verse, verse 11. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. A good summary verse. We rejoice, we boast that we're reconciled to God. Reconciliation is an accounting term, but it also speaks of a restoration of a broken relationship between us and God. And then you notice it says we've received reconciliation. It doesn't say we've earned it. We've received it. It's been given to us. Religion says earn this. Christianity says, God says, I give it to you. And verses 2, verses 3, and verse 11 all say we rejoice. In the Greek, again, it's we boast. We are like proudly telling everybody. Paul is saying we're boasting about all of these things that we have as Christians. Your final blank, number six, what do you boast in? What do we tend to boast in? Well, my kid has straight A's. I had a great vacation. I got promoted at work. My kid made the sports ball team. I made this much money. I did this important thing online. We boast about all these things that are not on our benefits package. Look at what Paul is boasting. And let's add one final benefit. We are reconciled to God. So as we bring this to a close, imagine if somebody got hired at a job they worked for years, but they never used any of their benefits. They never saved for retirement. They never went on a vacation. They never went to the doctor. You'd be like, you're an idiot. I'll just be straight up with you. You'd be like, but I got a paycheck. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of benefits that you were not using. Likewise, for the Christian, you know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. That's amazing. But are you using your benefits? If you have peace with God. Why are you so anxious about your position? You have access to God. Do you pray? Do you approach him day to day in prayer? You stand in grace. Why are you trying to work your way to God? You have eternal hope. Why are we putting our hope in so many temporary earthly things that will fail us? You have the ability to handle suffering. Right now in the trial or the squeezing that you're facing, what is your perspective and attitude? And on and on. The Christian's benefit package is out of this world. Are you using them? I trust you are. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these incredible riches that you have given us as believers. We thank you, God, that we are the richest people on the planet. These are the most important things that are true about us, Lord. We thank you for the peace and the access and the position and your help in suffering. We thank you, God, that you hear us. We thank you that you died for us when we were terrorists. We thank you that nothing can take this away from us. Lord, I know many of my brothers and sisters, they read this list and they don't believe it. Lord, I pray that they would understand that these things are 100% true about them and they would live a life that reflects it. And Lord, some of us might believe it, but we just don't care. Lord, we want to be men and women who boast about these things because these are the only things that are going to matter for the rest of eternity. These are the things that the rest of the world will someday go, man, I wish I had those benefits. And God, there are people in this room right now that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would become a Christian today and they would get the benefits fact package found in you. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen.